Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. One of the earliest accounts about Jesus of Nazareth, his life, death, and resurrection, was written by a man named Luke. We know it as the Gospel of Luke, but Luke continued the story in a second volume called the Book of Acts, and it's all about what Jesus continued to do after his resurrection. Acts begins with the disciples who are hanging out with Jesus, who's just come back to life, which is mind-blowing to imagine. And then for weeks, the risen Jesus kept teaching them about his upside-down kingdom, the new creation that he launched through his death and resurrection. This is exciting stuff, and the disciples are ready to go tell the world. But then Jesus tells them to wait and to stay in Jerusalem until they receive a new kind of power so they can be faithful witnesses to Jesus and his kingdom. Then he says that their mission is going to begin in Jerusalem, then move out to Judea and Samaria, and then from there out into the nations. It's like a roadmap for the whole book of Acts. Then the disciples saw Jesus enthroned as king of all creation. So the disciples wait, wondering when this power is going to come. And then comes the time of Pentecost. So this is an ancient Israelite festival. It's during the early summer, and thousands and thousands of Jewish pilgrims would come back to Jerusalem from all over the world, all these different languages and cultures colliding in the city. And the disciples are together in a house, which is suddenly filled with rushing wind along with fire. Fire splinters off into tongues of fire hovering over people's heads. What's this all about? Yeah, so Luke is tapping into a repeated Old Testament theme. When God's presence showed up similarly at Mount Sinai, he made a covenant with Israel and gave them the Ten Commandments. Then later, when God's glory came in a pillar of fire, it filled the tabernacle when he came to live among them. That was just one pillar of fire, not many. Exactly. Luke's making an important point here. This is God's personal temple presence, God's spirit that was foretold by Israel's prophets. And now it's come to take up residence in the new temple of Jesus' body, that is, his people. They've become little mobile temples where God now dwells. And they start to tell stories about Jesus, but they're speaking in languages that they didn't know before, yet all the visitors can understand them. What's this all about? Well, Peter gets up to explain that this is the fulfillment of Israel's hopes based on the scriptures. God's plan was always to use the unified family of Abraham to bring peace and justice to the world. But the tribes of Israel had been scattered because of the exile. Now here at Pentecost, representatives from all of the tribes come back together and they're introduced to their Messiah, the crucified and risen Jesus, so they can now become the restored people of Israel. And thousands of them start following the way of Jesus. Which brings us to Luke's tale of two temples. So you've got the temple that Herod built in Jerusalem, where Jesus' disciples worship like the rest of the Israelites. But now there's also Jesus' temple, which consists of people. This temple's meeting together in homes all over Jerusalem, and they were approaching life in a radical new way. Right, think about it. Many of these pilgrims aren't even from Jerusalem, so they formed these new families, and they're all depending on each other. Yeah, people would sell their stuff, provide for the poor among them. They ate their meals together. They said their daily prayers together. They were learning from the apostles what it meant to live as if Jesus is the true king of the world. And it must have been exhilarating. So if you haven't been with us for the last couple of weeks, that catches you up to speed. We're journeying through the, uh, the Acts of the Apostles. And um, I love that line at the very end there where he says, learning what it means to live as if Jesus is the true king of the world. Because that's what this new community is doing. And that's what we're doing right to this very day, is that we're gathering together to continue to learn how to live with Jesus as the true king of the world. So last week, 
Uh, we quickly looked at uh, course correction, uh, how, how Jesus offers us that rescue from the steep cliff that we're headed for, and Israel at the time's headed for this cliff. Jesus had been warning them, but then said, I can actually save you from where you're headed. And that's why he goes to the cross and takes that upon himself. And then we looked at the four marks of the church, which uh, they touched on in the video there too, with teaching. Uh, they met for breaking the bread of bread, the, the Lord's Supper. They met for prayer and then for fellowship and learning how to be this new family and what that now meant uh, under the kingship of Jesus. So tonight we're going to jump right into uh, the third chapter in Acts. But it's, we're going to overlap a bit with what we looked at last week. Because as they were learning to live together with Jesus as the true king, Acts 2.43 says, A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. So as we, we dig into tonight's text, we're, we're actually going to look at a miracle that takes place. And I think the temptation for us is often to kind of get caught up in how'd that happen, why that, why that person, not this person, and we want to kind of understand it with our Western scientific brains, but really, miracles are signposts pointing to something greater. Miracles are always pointing to Jesus, to God at work. So rather than getting caught up in how did this all happen, my encouragement for us tonight is to step back from some of the questions and trying to figure out how it all works and just be overcome with a sense of awe and wonder. Because God not only was up to something in the pages that we read here, but God is still up to something in our midst. And I pray that tonight, that deep sense of awe will overcome us. So if you have your Bibles, flip to Acts chapter 3. We'll be reading through verses 1 through 11. If you don't have it, it will be on the screen behind me, and you can follow along there as well. But Acts 3 verse 1. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money, but Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you. Talk about kind of like a letdown right at that moment. It's kind of like, look at me, <gasps> got nothing. It's like, but, Peter goes on, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Whew. Peter knows he's got nothing, but he's, he also knows that what he does have is so much better than what this guy's been getting every single day. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. As he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. 
all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Man, this story has so much packed in it, and I, I love it. But there's five things I want to pull out for us tonight. And we're going to talk about Saturdays, eye contact, authority, moving, and stories. Just like that. I'll, I'll work through it quickly. But let's start with Saturdays. So verse 1 talks about Peter and John. They went to the temple one afternoon. This is their Sabbath. This is a regular Saturday for them. It's Sabbath, so they go to the temple to worship, and it's just a normal day. It's the 3 o'clock prayer service. Now, for some people, you might have a translation that says it was the ninth hour. So fun fact for those of you who like this kind of stuff, the Hebrew calendar worked off a 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. Um, calendar or time. So they worked in these six to six blocks. So if you start in the morning and then count nine hours to seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, one, two, three, the ninth hour is 3 p.m. So that's kind of where that comes from. But they go to the three o'clock prayer service. And why is this important? Why am I bringing attention to this? Well, what I love about it is they're learning to live in this new way, this new family with Jesus as the king but they're still going about normal life. So Jesus has just revolutionized everything. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit, but they're still going to the temple because they're Jewish. This was what they did. It was part of their practice and custom. And so they're not instantly thinking, we're coming up with this brand new thing. They're just going about their normal life. And I think what this means for us is that we can go about our normal life. In fact, our vision statement is to connect, grow, give, go. Part of the reason we say that is because we gather to connect with one another and to, to grow in our faith and our relationship with Jesus, to give back in here and to our community, but then also to go, to go into the places where God's calling us, where God has already placed us. And I just love the fact that they're just going to the temple because it's Sabbath. This is what they do. So for those of us who, who are now followers of Jesus and we enter into this new community of following him as our true king, but you work out at the gym Monday, Wednesday, Friday, well, still work out at the gym Monday, Thursday, Friday. Or... And if you grocery shop on Saturdays, well, continue grocery shopping on Saturdays. Keep living into where God has placed you. And this is kind of our whole idea behind the seize the 167 and following Jesus every hour of the week. Because we come together one hour of the week to, to spur each other on, challenge each other, hold each other accountable, to be under the teaching, the breaking of bread, prayer, fellowship. But that's supposed to energize us and recharge us and, and challenge us to go out and seize the other 167 hours of our week to keep just going about doing our normal things and living into where God has placed us. And this leads us into the next point of eye contact because while we're living into the places where God has placed us, we need to be attentive to the Holy Spirit at work. And this is where Peter and John then start walking into the temple and not only does this guy see them, they lock eyes on him. 
It was normal for people with disabilities and who couldn't earn a living at that time to, to ask, to beg for food and to, to ask for money. It wasn't looked down upon. But one cool thing as I was going through my studies was that the temple was actually a pretty reliable place to ask for it because whether it was out of religious obligation or the sense of duty, they were known for being generous. They were known for actually giving to help this, these people out. And, and I, I pray that that's going to be something that we're also known for, just a radical generosity and not out of religious obligation or duty, but because that's our posture. But anyways, this man was brought here each day and he was placed at the gate called Beautiful. And the, Peter and John come into the temple, they lock eyes on him, they make this eye contact. And they saw something that others didn't. It wasn't, again, this religious obligation or duty. But they saw God at work. They saw something that they had to offer that no one else could offer. And they made eye contact. The, the one verse that says, Peter said, look at us. That kind of makes me uncomfortable just reading it, thinking about that whole thing where you kind of get right down and you say, look at me. Because our culture and our society nowadays, man, we like being hidden behind screens. And I know even the, the younger generations, it's, it's becoming more and more of a, a problem that, that they're just so focused on their screens, they, they're forgetting how to have conversations with one another. And in fact, I don't know if I should admit to this, but Amanda and I watched a new reality program last night on Netflix called Love is Blind, and it's about these people who are looking for love, and they're placed in separate pods, and they can't see each other. They can only talk to one another, and it was interesting as we were watching it because I just kept thinking, so many people want to be seen. Now, what's funny is you can't see one another, but you can actually see who that person is by the jokes they make, by, by how much they peel back the layers and kind of let that person in. And suddenly there were these instant connections being made between these couples because I believe they hadn't opened up like that to anyone before. Because I think our deepest desire is that we want to be seen, we want to be known, but it's so hard for us because there's so much vulnerability that comes with it. What if I'm not accepted? What if I'm rejected? What if they don't like me? But what I love about Peter and John here is that they look at this man and they ask him to look at them. Because he's probably asking for money and then too embarrassed to even make eye contact. But they look at him and they see him in his humanness, just as he is. And they know they have something greater to offer him. As we pay attention to the Holy Spirit, I believe he will continue to open our eyes to seeing things that we've never seen before right around us. And I believe that we need to lean in to where the Holy Spirit might be leading us, nudging us, whispering for us to go. But what does this mean for us? Well, the way I wanna actually flip the question is I want to ask, whose eyes are you avoiding? Because 
I'm sure we've all experienced that, that time where you're walking down the street and you see someone asking for money. And you're thinking, don't make eye contact, because as soon as I make eye contact, this is just going to get weird, and then I have to at least say something or say I don't have anything. And I'm sure I'm not alone on this experience. But I'm not asking this question to make you feel bad or guilty, but I believe it flips things around and makes us think about people who might be in our life already that we're not paying attention to, that we're not truly seeing for who they are. So who's eyes are you avoiding? But then we have to realize that it's not just all about us. This is where authority comes in. Because authority is a bit of a taboo word nowadays, and we're, we're going to dig into it deeper next week as Peter actually seizes this opportunity and preaches in the temple but it's still important to recognize in this moment where the authority is coming from. Because the question naturally comes up, how can this guy walk? How, how is this person healed? He was always considered less than. He wasn't allowed into the inner, inner temples, inner courts, because they had to place him at the gate. But the answer that Peter gives isn't, well, I'm a good person. I go to church once a week. He recognizes his authority is beyond himself. It was Jesus who did this. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, or in, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. He's placing his authority solely upon Jesus, which means for us, in order to understand that authority, we need to know the story of Jesus. We need to know the story, which means we need to, to know the Bible. And as we get to know the Bible and as we understand it, our eyes will be open to the fact that we're part of something so much bigger than us. As we read our Bible and continue to learn the story and submit to the story, we learn about Jesus and we submit to his authority as the true king of the world. I believe that as we submit to him, we'll be pulled into this greater new story that's emerging of what God is doing in and through us. And that leads us into moving. Because there's a couple different movements that happen within this passage. The first one is in verses 7 and 8. The first movement is into the temple. Because as I said, this is huge for this person. He's always been placed at the gate because he's not allowed to go into the inner courts because he's less than. But now through the power of Jesus, he's been healed and has been given access. But this isn't the move that I'm most excited for, though. In order, in order to understand what's going on, I want to show you a picture of the temple. So this is kind of the... the inside temple here. I have my Eugene's laser pointer that he's lending me. So, so right here is the beautiful gate. This is where he would have, been, would have been placed by his friends each day as people then entered in. So here you'll see is the women's courtyard. So the women could, could come in this far 
but they couldn't go through the next gate because in the next gate, then you have the priest courtyard and the Israelites' courtyard, which is the priests and the men. So the men were allowed to get in closer, and then here you have the holy of holies in the holy place. So this guy had never been allowed to enter, even into the women's courtyard. You can see there's this hierarchy at play here. And then on the next slide, it kind of zooms out a little bit. So there's the structure we were just looking at. But then here's the rest of the temple. And what you have is the beautiful gate there. And then these areas on the outside is the Gentiles' courtyard. So people who wanted to follow the, uh, the Jewish customs and religion and practices, they, they could come in, but they couldn't even enter into the Israelite women's courtyard. But again... What was taking place was happening right on the edge between the Gentiles and this gate here. And this is the move that I'm excited for. And actually, I have one more slide here, too. And this is a, a replica that was built in 1966. And it, I believe it's a scale of 1 to 50. Um, so it, it's a model that was, th that was built, and you could actually go visit it. But there is what it would look like in real life. So you have Solomon's colonnade going around the edge, the Gentiles' courtyard, the beautiful gate, women's courtyard, and then the priests and the men. And what excites me about this second move, it's in verses 10 and 11. It's as people realized who this guy was, they rushed out to Solomon's colonnade in amazement, they were absolutely astounded. And why should this excite us? It's because we're beginning to see God moving out toward the edges, toward the margins. We're beginning to see God moving out beyond the gate into the porch. You see... Up here was the holy place. That's where things were supposed to happen. That's where God was supposed to show up. But you see healing now taking place in the margins right here. And then you see people rushing out to Solomon's colonnade, or another way of putting it is Solomon's porch. You see them going out to the edges because God is on the move. It should remind us of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, um, where Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It's this outward movement we're going to see throughout the book of Acts, and it's already taking place right here in the temple. It's not in the courts. It's not in the more holy places. It's not in the, the places with more rooms. But what I love is that God is using a place that is accessible to all who are seeking. What's amazing with this porch is that women could be there, Gentiles could be there, priests could be there, everyone, anyone who's seeking could be on Solomon's porch. And if you're from Hamilton, you should appreciate a good porch. Like, I don't know about you, but I grew up with my grandparents living on their front porch. They lived down on Grosvenor Avenue uh, downtown, and and. I just have so many memories of coming over to see my grandpa Bernie and he'd be sitting out there on his chair yelling at all his neighbors and wanting to debate anyone who'd walk by. But what was amazing to me was recently when Amanda and I moved in 
with our in-laws for a few months, the next door neighbor came over to me one day. She knew I was a Bernie, and she said, I believe this is your uncle's. And she pulled out this record of my uncle Roy. And I'm like, where did you get this? And she's like, while we were sitting on our porch every Sunday as a family, the Bernies would always walk by on their way to church as they were going to Delta Tabernacle, which was actually a Christian and Missionary Alliance church downtown Hamilton. She said, one Sunday, they invited us to church and they gave me your uncle's record to listen to. And she's like, I've had it all these years and I thought, now since I've met you, I'll give it back to keep it in the family. But there's, a, there's an importance of the porch and what the, the role that porches play. It's, it's this way of connecting with our neighbors and our community. In fact, a couple years ago, we did a happy hour series, and I talked about how Amanda and I bought a porch set to be able to sit out uh, at the end of the day and meet our neighbors coming home from work, and after dinners, we were just going about life. And it allowed us to connect with our neighbors in so many ways that we wouldn't have otherwise. We're like, hey, Peter, how's it going? Hey, Peter. That's confusing. I had two Peters. So. <laughs> but <laughs> we'll blame it on the Buckleys. <laughs> but what I love is that it requires us to be attentive to the Holy Spirit. As we sit out on the, the porches and the, the, the margins of our homes, of our societies, of our communities, it requires us to make eye contact with those who might be other than us. But this is the beauty of what God's doing. He's using people on the margins to begin this new movement. He's using slaves and women and, and it cripples, and, and he's doing this new work among them. So I believe what this means for us is that we need to become porch people. People who are willing to go to the edges, go to the margins, to sit with people, to sit on the porches of our homes and porches of society and our communities and share and celebrate in the stories of what God is doing. Which brings us full circle to stories of awe. Because in verse 10, it says that when these people recognized it was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. When I moved to BC in 2007, the mountains blew me away. It, it just it rocked my world, and it was something I had always dreamt of. And this is Mount Baker. And where I lived down in Abbotsford and went to school in Langley, I would see that all the time. Driving to school, driving home from school, the sun's rising on it, the sun's setting on it. Like, it's just massive. And I remember Amanda grew up in BC. Her family moved there when she was in grade four and didn't move to Ancaster until the same year, 2007. But we both went back out to Trinity Western together. And I would pull over on the side of the road, and I'd be losing my mind looking at this mountain. And I'm like, Manda, can you see this? This is amazing. And she's like, what? It's Mount Baker. Like, I grew up with this. I'm like, are you kidding me? And I, I'd flip, I had a flip phone because we didn't have the smartphones yet, and I'd take these crappy pictures and text them to her. And I'm like, look at this. And she wouldn't really respond with great enthusiasm. 
And then we'd turn the corner and we'd see golden ears and, and grouse mountain and cypress mountain. And I was just surrounded. And I, so I'm constantly losing my mind. But then what happened over the course of time is that she actually began appreciating the beauty that was around us. And she began saying, wow, like I, I never really realized that golden ears, which have these two peaks, like they, they face Trinity Western campus and you, you see them all the time. I never realized that. And I, I didn't realize how beautiful this is with the ocean in front and Mount Baker behind. And, and she began developing this new appreciation for this area that she had always grown up in. And the reason I say all those things is because I believe that's what sometimes happens with those of us who've grown up in church. We kind of grow up seeing life transformation. We grow up and we see change in people, or we see people who are already generous with their money and their time and who, who want to help you out. And we're just like, yeah, that's, that's normal. But what's amazing about stories is that all of us are sitting on stories of miracles. We might never experience a miracle like this guy who has never been able to walk and suddenly can get up and just jump and rejoice into the temple. But we all have miracles that have happened in our life, whether small, medium, large, and we're sitting on them. But the beauty is, I believe we need to share our stories. Because as we begin sharing our stories and our excitement and the awe and the wonder and the miracles of it all, it's contagious. It's like a spark that kind of lights this larger fire and like me pulling over to the side of the road and Amanda's like, again? And I'm like, I need to get this picture. I believe as we share our stories, it encourages one another. It challenges one another. It, it excites us for, yes, God is on the move. And I'm bummed that Brian's not here tonight because I texted him this morning. He said he was going to. I asked for his permission to share this story and he gave it to me, so I just didn't want to embarrass him. But a few weeks ago, he had a friend, uh, John, and his family out here. And they came out to support Brian and Joanna. And, and afterwards, John sent me an email just saying, man, that was so great. And I just love the fact that Brian's going to church. And Brian told me this story last week and said that John told him out of all of his friends he grew up with, He's like, the last person I ever would have expected someone to invite me to church would have been Brian. That's a miracle. Like, we take it for granted because we're like, oh, yeah, Brian, he's out here. He's a great guy. But when I asked him to share the story, he's like, yeah, you can go on and say that 20-year-old Brian would drop dead hearing that 45-year-old Brian is actually going to church and is engaged and active. Those are the miracles that we're sitting on. And I'm so thankful that Brian allowed me to share that. So what does this mean for us? It means let's share our stories. Share your story. Let's celebrate and stand in awe of what God is doing in each other's lives. And just as this deep awe came over the people, as they saw something greater was happening among them, let us be overcome with this deep sense of awe as we recognize that God is doing something greater among us. This is why we gather for teaching, for breaking of bread, for prayer, and for doing life together with Jesus as the true king. So I'm going to close in prayer, but then I'm actually going to invite 
Eugene to come up, and he's just going to lead us in a time of sharing. And if you have a story that you'd like to share, I invite you to do that. And we're going to turn off the live stream, and uh, just so then there's a sacredness to it as well, that it's not going to be broadcast online. But let me just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you're doing among us. Thank you for what you're doing right here and right now. God, thank you for all of the miracles represented here this evening. And God, it's only by your love and grace that we're all sitting here tonight, deeply in awe of who you are and what you're doing. Help us to pay attention to your Holy Spirit as we go about our normal rhythms and activities of life. And God, help us to desire to learn more and more of your story, of who you are, and to submit to you as the true king of the world. God, when we see you move, I pray that we move with you. Help us go where you lead us. And encourage us by the stories of one another and what you're doing in each of our lives. For anyone sitting here tonight just who's thinking, I can't do this or my story is just not that great, God, remind them that they are enough. God, you love us all completely and immensely and we are enough in you. Bless this time of sharing and may we leave here tonight overcome by a deep awe of you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.